We have a very untalented podcast. I thought we'd at least have one musician on here. Whoa, this whoa, is whoa. disappointing. <laughs> Nick, and I, Nick and I both play the saxophone. I play okay. the trumpet. Wait, you play the saxophone? Yeah, Nick and I both do. Oh, Ooh, gosh. Dang. That's what we need. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, we're back here with Bourbon Community Roundtable number 67, and this time we're talking all about limited editions. So new records are being set for bottles at auction, and many of us are thinking twice about opening up any of the bottles that we have now. Red Hook Rye went for $47,000 at a Sotheby's auction. A 5-liter bottle of OFC 1982 went for $60,000 as an NFT. So with so many limited editions, how do we determine what's going to make a bottle valuable in the future? And on the next segment, our friends over Breaking Bourbon had a good email last week that they talked about holiday bottles. Kentucky Owl recently released their St. Patrick's Day expression. Barrel Bourbon has their New Year. Smoke Wagon had done at Halloween. And Maker's Mark has one for almost everything. So are these gimmicks or are holiday bottles here to stay? With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from John Robertson, who writes me on Twitter. Probably been done, but how important is a proper glassware in a tasting? Glencairn versus Rock's Glass. Also, aside from your own, any definitive whiskey books you think people should read. Okay, so... Let's start with the proper whiskey glass. There is a very different approach for analytical tasting versus enjoying yourself. I am tasting analytically. I'm trying to find flaws. I'm trying to break down a whiskey. And so I think the Glencairn glass is the absolute best for that process. And reason why it does not allow whiskey to kind of hide itself. Some of these other glasses, uh, they kind of mask the flaws a little bit, like the higher alcohols will be hidden when you are kind of smelling it around. And so like a really bad whiskey can smell good because the glass is, is not showing uh, the whiskey's true true sense. And then some glasses, when you put them on the palate, it comes in like a, like a very narrow trajectory, while the Glencairn can come on your palate like a wave. Like, so it, it's coming in all at once. And so there's a better volume in terms of hitting your tongue. So there's a very analytical rationale as to why I like the Glencairn. Now, if I'm going out and enjoying myself, and maybe I'm going to throw some ice in there, or I'm going to have a cocktail, I like these really nice uh, crystal rigid um, rocks glasses. You know, you can put a piece of ice in there, but I just love the how, way they feel. I like... When it comes to like sitting down, I like um, and and just kind of chilling. I like uh, the way a glass can feel. Uh, that adds to my enjoyment. But again, I'm not breaking that whiskey down. I'm not rating it in that middle of of the tasting procedure. I'm just talking to some friends or my wife or whoever, just kind of chilling. Now, most of the time, I'm I'm usually even when I'm enjoying myself, I have a Glencairn and I'm like. Hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm constantly on that. There's and most you know I think glass glassware is almost subjective, but I, I think there's some science behind uh, kind of some of the things that I said. Uh, now in terms of like uh, books that are not mine, which thank you for for uh, my books acknowledging that. I think my best book for a, for a whiskey person getting in is Bourbon Curious. Uh, so if you want to check that out, I think that's the best thing I have to offer you. Uh, in terms of uh, my colleagues, anything by Lou Bryson. If you want to jump into history, uh, Chuck Cowdery. You know, if you want to, you know, check out uh, like how to entertain Peggy No Stevens. Um, uh, what fork do I use with my bourbon? Is is an incredible book. If you want to get into some unique history, uh, Brian Harris, uh, Bourbon Justice looks at it from a legal perspective. I'm also a huge fan of uh, Heather Green. Heather Green uh, wrote a whiskey book around the same time my book Whiskey Women came out, and it came out at the same time as uh, Lou Bryson's Tasting Whiskey, which, you know, I, I'd say Tasting Whiskey is probably the best uh, overall whiskey book ever written. 
and it just was hard to for any book that was a, a tasting book to stand out around the time Lou's book came out. But Heather's Heather's book is phenomenal. I think if you're looking for de- high level details, uh, that that's a great one. Uh, Dave Broom has written a lot of uh, of books. Um, you know, he's got one on Japanese whiskey that to me is like other otherworldly. And uh, let's see, if you want to go into Canadian whiskey, Davin Corgamo, just he's a god in Canadian whiskey. If you read his book, uh, you'll see why. And then, of course, my good buddy, uh, Clay Risen, and I love Mike Veach's uh, historic look uh, as well. So I, I think you just you, you have a lot uh, to offer there, and, and we're all very unique, and we all very much support each other. But um, uh, yeah, so that, that's a long laundry list for you there. But if you want to hit me up on Twitter, uh, Instagram, or Facebook, like uh, John did here, please do so and let me know what your question is for Above the Char. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome, everybody. It is Bourbon Community Roundtable number 67, and we have got the entire gang here, and we've got a lot of great topics lined up. Some even come from our fellow Roundtable members, and it kind of sparked a little idea, and I said, you know what? We should probably talk about this. So, but before we get started, as I mentioned, we got the whole gang here. So, Ryan and Fred, fellas, hey. what is going on, fellas? It's like tell the people what's happening in your lives. Man, I'm just, I'm just so excited that it's uh, springtime and it's still 30 degrees, and you know, <laughs> I hate just it, loving it. <laughs> it's so yeah. deceiving. You look outside and it's super sunny, and then you walk out and you're like, well, never mind. Screw this. Going back inside. Oh, I know. And the kids playing soccer, they're like having to wear three layers of clothing. It's horrible. Well, I remember playing soccer as a kid. And when you play it in 30 degree weather, it's like kicking a rock. I remember Mm -hmm. just my toes just couldn't. It's just terrible. But usually it's like getting the wintertime that happens, but usually not till March. But hey, it's still it's still kicking our butts right now. But that might mean something for the aging of the bourbon and the rick houses too you get a little it's bit true. colder in there mm-hmm. so get a little bit more, more of the uh you know extraction, extraction kind of coming out of contraction unless Whatever. of course it's a brown format where it's heat cycled and controlled 
I know. And Buffalo Ooh. Trace. It, who else does? Let's see. Brown Foreman, Buffalo Trace. Who else do we um, know that Mictors, does? Mictors okay. does it. Uh, there's some heat cycling. Do, do they and, do any at Jack? No, Jack is not heat cycled. They're, the warehouses I was in were not heat cycled. I mean, it's not really a what you would consider a cost-effective way of doing things, but I guess it does work because every single time we try a Brown Foreman product, it's, what, four to six years old, and they get a pass for every single time that everybody's like, oh, I'm not drinking four or five-year-old whiskey, but old Forrester comes out of it, he's like, yes, I want it. Like, I'll go how, buy many, it. how many variations of one recipe and proofs can we do? Yeah, but I it, mean... It, it must work, though. It does. It, it, they nailed it. They, they've got oh, the formula. Dude, they're, they're great. Well, let's go ahead and introduce everybody else on the roundtable. So, Brian, I'll let you go first. You get to let everybody know where you blog and talk about and write about and your favorite heat-cycled warehouse. Ooh, favorite. Ah, there, <laughs> I'm just there's so many. So many. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks again for having me, guys. Uh, Brian with Sipping Corn. You find me on all the socials at Sipping Corn and online at bourbonjustice.com. And uh, looking forward to this. And unfortunately for spring break, I'm not getting out of this weather. Um, heading on college tour visits to the sort of Northeast. So mm. I'm going to get more of the same. Exciting now. What, what school is you going to go visit, though, for anybody that's out there listening and they, they need yeah, to get a all, plug for you all, to go and visit? All ones that I could never, ever have gotten into in a million years. We're starting in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins. We're going to Carnegie Mellon. Uh, it's all of those kinds of schools. So my it's, God, you must Brian have raised some geniuses. Thanks <laughs> after my wife, I tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you got a good five twenty nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, more than that for some of these, but it's it. We're obviously super proud, but these are just schools I never even knew really existed. Well, it's I'd say congratulations to your little one that they get to look at this sort of pedigree of schools. So that's very very impressive. So yeah. looking I guess forward to it. If if you're out there in the bourbon universe and you're listening, you can give a plug and say you got to go to John Hawkins because I went there and this is why I got to go. There Make you sure go. You send Brian a message. I think you have to go to CMU just so you can come drink bourbon with me, Brian. Yeah, we got to try that. There you go. <laughs> well, Jordan, you go ahead and go next since you uh, you chimed in there. I'm sure, I caught, this you, is... caught you right as you were drinking. That's there, what I did. There you go. It's like a waiter at the restaurant, and they're like, "How's your Perfect food?" Timing it's all just the time, as soon right? as you take a big fork, huge board. bite. Uh, yeah, this is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon. Uh, catch us on all the socials, and as always, we're pumped to be here. This should be a really good, really good roundtable. For sure, and Blake. What's up, man? It's been a long yeah, time. You, you it it has been, week. you know. Y'all uh, hang out for a minute? Jumped in, got to see. You know, I'm not going to say who was missing from Kentucky, but uh, <laughs> if you can see Fred's face right now, you know, I got to give him a hard time. But no, Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. So, you know, it's fun to get together, drink a little bit in person and uh, be in Kentucky, do some barrel picking. So fun to be back on the round table. Thanks for having me. As always. I mean, that's what we're all here for. We get to sit here and talk about random ideas and kind of the discussions that I, I think of on my Sunday nights before we go and record on Mondays. And I like, what, what have we, what have we talked about recently? What is there to even going into this? And, and I think one of the ones that kind of struck my mind is I started looking in and I started thinking the bourbon category in general, the valuations are going crazy. Secondary prices are going through the roof. And right now bottles that are going to auction are just going for asinine numbers. And so Last week at Sotheby's Red Hook, everybody knows Linnell from Red Hook. We actually had her on the podcast on a previous episode. I'll, I'll try to find that number if you want to kind of reach back in there. But that bottle, that one bottle alone went for $47,000. And there were two verticals of Pappy Van Winkle, a 2020 and a 2021, that both went for a combined $47,000. There was a five liter bottle of Buffalo Trace OFC 1982 that went for $60,000 in a form of an NFT. And when we think about this, we start looking at all the limited releases that are starting to come out. And a lot of us are probably thinking, we should probably think twice about opening some of these big time bottles because uh, as Brian had just mentioned a little bit ago, we all have college educations on our mind for our kids. So we know that uh, a $47,000 bottle, we're like, oh, that could probably cover a semester or two or three. Or depending on the college, uh, maybe a whole, an entire term there. Who knows? But there are certainly that bottles that deserve to be open and may not accrue as much value either. Some of the ones that are kind of like lower tier. So 
I kind of want to push it to you all and start figuring this out. We'll kind of start driving and figuring out what is the criteria on how do we determine what do we think will make a bottle more valuable in the future? Think age statements, you can think design, you could think of whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think pedigree definitely helps. Um, but then when you look at the, uh, you know, it was really that Willet lot that went out, for, whether it was Red Hook or, um, you know, the, the Blue Smoke or uh, some of these Iron Fist Velvet Glove releases that, you know, that went out and are super high price. But I, I think there's even more attraction to the uh, the Red Hook one just because it it is New York based. Um, New York, obviously, th there's lots and lots of money flowing through there. So that drives the price up. But, you know, I, I think it's it's almost random at times in my mind. But um, pedigree of distillery is definitely up there. Scarcity and then. I, we've all seen it though. It'll be like just all of a sudden overnight, something just takes off and doubles in price and there's no real explanation why. So it can be hard to tell too. You know, it's, uh, I think we'd all buy if we had the magic formula, but. <laughs> uh, one thing, one thing I have noticed about this is that the market is usually dictated by a handful of bidders. A really good example and it, it, it's a shame that this data is not public and it's not available. But those who were in the circles, you know what I'm talking about. The secondary prices for Stitzel Weller bourbon between 1945 and 1975, when Sean Brock was in the game, you know, you're looking at $10,000 per bottle uh, for a lot of those in there. That's because he was bidding against about five other people on a very consistent basis. Uh, when Sean Brock gets out of the game, you know, he's a famous chef. Uh, his, his story is very public about how he became sober and he got rid of his bourbon collection. When, once he got out of the game, those bottles were went from 10,000 to 8,000 to 5,000. So I think it's a little bit of like you have to look at some of these bottles of like who's really chasing them and what's the, st the sustainability of of people, new people chasing them. There's one brand uh, that really has kind of come to the forefront as an auction-centric bourbon, and that is Michter's. Uh, Michter's has continuously kind of gone up in um, in market value in these auctions. I believe they went for twenty-seven thousand or thirty thousand per bottle in the last one. Uh, last year, those same bottles or similar bottles were at twenty thousand. And so you're, you're seeing your, and I think that's a, a direct connection to the Wall Street area because of the show Billions and because of the presence that Michter's has on Wall Street because they're based in New York. Chatham Imports is based in New York. So I think that a brand like Michter's is following the path of McAllen, which McAllen is almost leapfrogging a lot of their high-end releases and going straight to auction. Last year, you know, they had a a whiskey McAllen did that went for one point four million dollars uh, at auction, and that they're that's in their press releases, that's in their marketing. You know, they can't wait to talk about how they broke a new record. So I think Michter's is is a brand that's strategically going down that line of really using auctions to their benefit. While I think Pappy, you know, you brought up Kenny, you brought up uh, what the what an entire set of Pappy brought, I think forty something thousand dollars. We saw that. Um, and that was two sets, by the way, two verticals. Two two verticals went for forty thousand a piece, or combined, it was forty thousand a piece or something like that. Uh, I actually find that to be, you know, a little low if you really kind of pull the bottles out. I feel like the bottles of Pappy uh, are actually dropping in market value when it comes to these auctions. Now, if you bring up a two a pre two thousand fifteen Pappy, when you know we had you know guaranteed sits a Weller liquid inside the bottles, that's a different story. But these recent ones, a six thousand dollar auction for a two thousand twenty or two thousand twenty one, uh, to me is 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 a little telling that the auction audience is not as interested in in Pappy as they are Michter's and some of these more you know, kind of coveted bottles like Red Hook. Red Hook, that is always going to be a big one. And some of the Purple Top Willets will always be big. But I think you have to look at like who's bidding and what are the major brands of the people that are bidding. Hey, Fred, I kind of want to 
talk about the Mictors thing just for a second, only because when you think about what some of these Mictors were really bringing in, if I had to guess, I don't know, I didn't look at the auction items, but if I had to guess, these had to be probably 2016 and prior ones, because those are the years that, mm -hmm. of course, it's never going to be confirmed, but were rumored to still be Stitzel Weller. And so when you think of 20-year barrel-proof Stitzel Weller, and going back to the original thought that you had that Stitzel Weller mm -hmm. is always going to bring a high price, do you think that probably has a, a bigger influence and not saying it's a 2020 or 2021 release of it? Uh, yeah, so I, I think that is that's definitely a good point. Um, but you do you still see uh, I was a part of an auction, you know, last year or two years ago with Whiskey Auctioneer, where a very, very where the most recent 20 year old outsold the Pappy. So you even you still see it. It's just the those 2016 now the greatest the greatest rye i've ever tasted was the uh uh in the contemporary sense was the 2012 i believe it was uh 25 year old michter's rye and i mean that that rye whiskey was amazing but those old those old michters they should be sought after they're amazing but but you still see their value you know command a lot now you don't see it with celebration. Celebration, you know, you can find at retail for ten to fifteen thousand dollars, but you can actually get it less at auction between eight and twelve thousand. Yeah, you, you just really never know with these auctions where they're gonna go. And if you tie a charity to it, uh, like we did with the Kentucky Bourbon Benefit, Brian full knows full well when people are bidding uh and there's a charity connected to it, they just completely forget about their wallets and their bank accounts, and they're trying to help the cause as well as get that sweet bottle. Yeah, I, I kind of want to make sure we we keep a, a clear delineation between something that's raising money for charity versus something that is a a hobbyist or a collector's type of, of, of item, only because we all kind of know that charity auctions do tend to bid up and, and raise the price a little bit more. Uh, there's another question that came in here from Logan and Mac from Basement Rickhouse thing that do we think that the charity auctions actually end up driving the price of some of these market values or is it just part of the process? Yeah, I don't think, you know, hopefully it doesn't drive the price, but I think it can affect it. You know, if if there's a huge disparity, if somebody spends $40,000 on a charity on a $2,000 bottle, well, it's probably going to pop somewhere in the middle. But I mean, we, we've seen it locally where I think somebody ended up paying some crazy miles, like 15,000 for Pappy 15 at a local charity event. And it was just for the charity. You know, they're probably going to donate the money anyway. It's a, it's a business write off. And hey, if they get a bottle of bourbon out of it, great win win situation. So, you know, I hope it doesn't drive it, but there's no denying that it has an input on the ultimate uh, outcome. Well, part of this still has me thinking. Since Brian, you just muted yourself. How are those diamonds doing for you? They they start increasing price. <laughs> yeah, the the diamonds haven't moved for me, unfortunately. <laughs> so that's, we always got to come back, back to that. Yeah, I, that, that goes, a, I knew someone was going to bring that up, but that goes a three back or four to, year running joke now. <laughs> yeah, someone that goes back to the point of of I, I wish we could guess what what it is that's going to do this, and you know, is it is it always going to be some something? that's focused on this sort of segment like Mictors is, or that gets all of the support like will it, but then there's some random things that show up and just shoot through the roof that I don't know that you'd ever guess. And then there's things that don't, I mean, all of the four roses limited editions that have been so great that don't really go for much on the secondary in the, in the grand scheme of things. So my only contribution to this is I have no freaking idea. I mean, I just I can't tell what's going to go high, what's going to go low, what I should have bought or uh, just start giving away all of the all of the diamonds. I think, you know, it goes back to well, that's a good tie into to diamonds. And I think Blake made the point with scarcity. Right. So there's a I think we need to delineate from secondary market pricing and, and true auction pricing, too. So when you start thinking about true auction pricing, you start thinking about the different scotch of the world, different Japanese whiskeys, et cetera. And the difference is those are extremely limited in quantities. You're going to see some that come out, they're in the single digits. You're going to see others that come out, there's maybe only 80 bottles in total. 
and those bottles. So I uh, take aside the fact that, you know, Buffalo Trace is trying to do that with, with double eagle rare and, and you see the Woodford Baccarat and stuff like that. And you start seeing the, the really nice crystals come out. Take aside that for a second and just focus on the whiskey inside. Incredibly limited, limited, limited release globally. And the difference where you'll see, like, say, take Pappy Van Winkle, sure, it'll sell for $45,000 at auction. whoop de doo Compare that to scotches out there. And the reason is, and I know some people at home will roll their eyes and, and those listening will do the same thing in, in their cars, wherever they're listening. But, you know, you, there is still people who walk into stores and still buy a Pappy Van Winkle. And whether it's through your liquor store connection or you just have a liquor store owner, owner who just puts it on the shelf and or they're just selling it for maybe secondary pricing, you, you can still go buy one. With a lot of these scotches and other things that bourbon's aspiring to being, you can't do that. There, there's no way in hell you can do that. So that I think in ultimately, right, it's we when we look at the current releases out there, none of them will ever attain the prices that we think when we think of the global whiskey auction market. We're going to have to start seeing ones being released by distilleries that are incredibly limited, limited edition. Maybe not meant for auction houses, but ultimately that's where they're going to be sold the majority of the time. And then we'll start seeing whiskey or, or bourbon specifically, right? And American whiskey start playing on that global stage that we see scotch and Japanese whiskey, et cetera, playing against. Well, Jordan, I would say just take that really good mic connection you have, pull the mic out and just drop it right there. <laughs> I mean, like you just, you just like nailed everything so well and you summarized uh whiskey auctions and one thing that you brought up i'd like to add to the scotch industry has always embraced the secondary market let me say that again the scotch industry has embraced the secondary market and the auction houses are kind of an extension of the secondary market it's a legalized secondary market because the majority of these bottles are coming from private owners who you know send them to christie's uh, or whiskey auctioneer, or whoever, and the scotch industry is like, oh, you got one of our bottles in auction? Well, let us go ahead and put a press release out. Whereas the the bourbon industry has been a little bit, you know, we want to shut the secondary market down. There's still a mindset within the within the industry that they want to keep prices uh, attainable. Uh, they they're uncomfortable when you talk to a lot of these people. They don't want an everyday bourbon to get to $60, $80, even though that's where we're going. The, the bourbon industry still very much believes, to your point, that a person has an opportunity to buy Pappy Van Winkle. They still believe that it may not be true. Like you said, people are going to roll their eyes. But that is the one key difference when it comes to auction houses with how the bourbon industry looks at them and how Scotch looks at them. Scotch embraces them. Uh, bourbon's still a little bit nervous about embracing them. Bourbon's for the people, you know. That's right. We're the we want everyone to come in all 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 wallet sizes. And I, I feel like I have nothing to add to this conversation because I really don't care about these really expensive bottles. And some of my favorite whiskeys are like the earlier Parkers. I mean, they're some of the best bourbons I've ever had, and you can still get them for what under a couple grand. You know, whereas these bottles are, I've had some of these and they're okay, but they're not better than any of those earlier Parkers or any, anything else limited edition I've ever had. But, uh, yeah, that's all I can add to this and I'll chum out. Peace. No, you're good. <laughs> but you, you also kind of, it's like an oxymoron a little bit because you're like all those earlier Parkers. But now if you're, in a, if you're getting into it, you want those earlier Parkers. Yeah. You got to shovel out a couple thousand dollars to go get that first year. What was it? 27 year release or not the first one, maybe two or three or something like that. Uh, Promise of Hope and all these other ones that have mm -hmm. been had rave reviews. But now that has become an unobtainable, right? It's it's a limited edition. But that was also at a time when people were buying bourbon and opening it and drinking it because there wasn't a huge aftermarket. There wasn't a secondary market. And so people had them. Now there are some people yeah, that but just held on to them. But why is Mictor's 25 worth much more than a 27 euro or you know parkers or whatever I, I i can't wrap my head around that i've had both of them and i think the parkers is by far better in my i mean that's my preference it doesn't matter other people can think what they want but it's just i can't wrap my head around that i guess you know and it's and, and like you said it's mixers it's has wax and it's been billions and whatnot <laughs> and, you know but i think you know price and quality is two things that really don't go hand in hand in a lot of luxury uh products you know bourbon 
kind of the same thing. It, it, it's, I mean, even at the lower end, we see hundred dollar bottles that aren't as good as wild Turkey one-on-one shout out rare bird, but, uh, but it, it's <laughs> right. true. And you know, it's, it's all personal. And so that's what you're kind of trying to figure out. Like what are people buying it because it's expensive and it's a symbol and yeah, a little bit like, to be honest, but you know, the wine worlds, there's still people paying these kinds of dollar amounts for bottles. And that's one sitting, you, you know, this thing can sit on your shelf. You can pour it for 50 different people and half ounces and go from there. So I, I mean, I hate to say it, but I still think there's a lot of room to, to grow in this extreme high end market. And, oh, and if some of the bigger guys start jumping on board, like Scotch has, it's just going to go even further. And and I'm not thinking, I, I think it's a great thing. I think it's awesome for the category that this is happening. I just, I can't predict or wrap my head around why one is better than the other. Why Red Hook Rye, you know, is I, I, I guess I get it, but there was a bunch of those Willet runs that came out that were the same exact juice, same exact lots, you know, whatever that aren't pulling hey, that. It goes back to what somebody said at the very beginning. <laughs> it's the stickers. Right? Sure, it is the Red stickers. Hook at the sticker. Yes. It was the original sticker. Yeah, I guess I just can't predict and understand why because there's some great whiskeys like you talk about, you know, like Booker's Rye is one of my favorite all times, you know, cured oak. I mean, even though it's really expensive, it's not getting forty thousand dollars a bottle. Um, there's just a lot of good ones that I would think that are just as good as those other ones, but they just don't get it the price tag that those other bottles do. So I think what Kenny and Ryan aren't saying is pursuit series batch oh oh one for the auction house is about ten, fifteen years. It's gonna go big money. He'll go three hundred dollars. Yes. There's they, they still one in my office, so when it goes big, you know, <laughs> my kids aren't going to uh, schools like Brian's, but yeah, it'll it'll pay for like yeah. twelve years of school. We'll, for we'll get you a YouTube education with yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> with a certificate and all, Some free master classes right. out of it, something like that. Community college. And so there was another point I kind of want to bring up against what Jordan was saying about how limited can these limited releases really be, and it's it's like. You know, you look at Red Hook, they had four different barrels. That was it. So that's pretty limited on what you're thinking there. I mean, if you're thinking 150, it's not even probably 150, maybe 100 to 120 120 bottles in each of them. Like that's a pretty limited subset. When you think about what a limited release in today's terms are, when you look at Four Roses limited edition small batch, there's what, 14, 15,000 bottles. Is that limited? Yes, it's limited in the sense of it's still going to be allocated. It's still going to be hard to find. You can't find it. But maybe that's what is not making the driver and pushing it towards a larger price tag. Maybe it's that if these different distilleries, they want to have that larger price tag, be able to take it to market. I think there was somebody on here in the chat that brought it up earlier is let's take Four Roses. It's a prime example right here. Uh, Eleanor just said, what about that 20-year release they did at the gift shop? Perfect prime example. I think there was only... Uh, a couple hundred bottles, and they're going for close to $2,000, right? So it gives you a, a few things there. You've got, of course, a, a high age statement because we're all suckers for it. Uh, and B, it's even more limited edition. And C, it comes in some sort of leather case. So there are three different elements there that all kind of go into potentially playing some sort of influence on what we think a price is right. I'm I'm open to any sort of debate on that one. If if it really is any kind of scale on what how many barrels or how many bottles should really be in this, if somebody really wants to take a quote unquote limited release or a release that should be going towards really driving towards a secondary market approach, because that's what raises eyebrows. That's what gets people continually in the news over and over and over again. Well, I think that's a good example to to wonder how in the hell Four Roses, the 20-year the doesn't go for what Michter's is going. I mean, 2000 sure, great. That's a huge price, but it's not these Michter prices, and it's not the, the these other, it's not the Red Hook price, it's not any of those things, and I don't know that it will ever be, and that's what just absolutely baffles me why people who who are going to spend this amount of money aren't spending it on Four Roses, because if money were no object i'd be out there buying those on the charity didn't the like the four roses barrels they went for way less than the willet barrels right yeah they did well i mean they didn't go way way less but uh, i mean yeah I the, the willet was 400 and the the four roses was 
I forget the number, but I wouldn't say way less. I yeah, I it really was. I, I think it was a quarter of a million. I can't remember. We could do a Google. Well, hell, one hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot. That's a yeah. lot less. Yeah, that's pocket change. <laughs> it is a lot. No, it I, is I less. It was. But... I think it was like a hundred and twenty ish thousand. Yeah, I can't remember. Too yeah. long ago. We, we've we've had too many meetings about that auction to remember exactly. each one of the things. But right. Yeah. I, I will say the thing about Four Roses is that therein you have a really great example of why marketing matters to get to that high echelon or at least perception. Four Roses is like it's still kind of insulated to the bourbon community in a lot of ways. And in the bartender community, you don't really see it kind of breaking out into um you know, the golf pro community, if you will. And that's a very important community for drinking high-end bourbon. Those guys, you know, will drink a bottle on, on 18 holes and still shoot better than I could ever dream of. But, you know, so there, there's, there's marketing attached to creating this FOMO, you know, uh, and I just, you, you just can't ever dismiss that. I can't wait for the squib limited release that's gonna be that's gonna <laughs> but be you've epic. already got the hat to prove that you're a fanboy right they've got to give you some sort of early access i'm getting that first bottle you need a bottle of dj squib <laughs> that's right so i'll throw another one out to you be- only because this is very timely and we know that heaven hill is releasing two different 17 year old bourbons Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So I'll throw another one out to you, only because this is very timely, and we know that Heaven Hill is releasing two different 17-year-old bourbons. So they have their, what was it? They've got their old Fitzgerald release, and then they're going to have their new, I think, what's it called? Traditions or some other kind of release that they're, I, I, I should have done the research. I just wrote down 17 Heaven Hill while I was doing this. But they have a second release that they're coming out with that is another barrel-proof expression, 17-year, and they give you all the details of what's happening from the warehouses and stuff like that. So if you take those two prime examples and you try to think of in your head, okay, if I was to bet my horse right, which is the one that's going to be more valuable in the end, which way would you go? So you're talking about the Heaven Hill Heritage Collection. The Heritage right? Collection. Yes, thank one. you, Jordan. So if if it was, all right, if we're just playing in a in a vacuum between those two bottles, I'll probably say the Heritage Collection only because with the old fits, it's a it's an expression that comes out twice a year. And even though the bottle labels are different colors, it's still the same bottle. So at a quick glance, you're like, oh, it's the same as anything else. People have seen that. And yes, the Heritage Collection comes very similar to what we saw with Heaven Hill when they came out with the other release a few years ago. But as of right now, I'd probably go for that one only because there's a lot more old fits out there. And again, people can walk into the gift shop and buy an old fits. You're not going to be able to walk into the gift shop and buy this. Um, back to my earlier comment. But that, that's just playing things in a vacuum, so who knows where this goes. I'll throw another one out. 
does it hurt Heaven Hill from a secondary market or I'm not going to say it hurt, but in regards of what we were saying earlier is if you want to be in that secondary market, you want to be in that auction market, does putting out two 17-year-old expressions essentially hurt you in doing that? Maybe, but I guarantee you that was not their mindset going into Probably this. not. Mm-hmm. It, we, we got to be on a, a chat with some of them when they were talking about this new collection, and they said they have a vast array of extra-aged bourbon that they have for this new collection. And I'm just thinking, ah, to be that spoiled and just have all these 17, 18, 19-year products just kind of just chilling in warehouses. I think they only care about their FOB, Kenny, not their secondary prices. Hey, it's it's okay. They keep putting out good whiskey, and that's really all that matters. That's right. I'm going to go with whichever, which one was the barrel proof? Well, I guess not the old fits because that's always bottled and bond, right? So, correct. Yeah. So, the heritage automatically has that going for it. The fact that it's barrel proof at that age, different bottle. Yeah. I, yeah. They're both going to go crazy. So, it's, we're splitting hairs over which is going to be more insane than the other. But yeah, that, that's my bet if I had to guess. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the easy call there because the heritage collection is going to be different every year. So this 17 year is never going to be out again. It'll be something different next spring. And like Jordan said, this is a twice a year thing for the old Fitzgerald. And it's never been 17. Sometimes you get nine, sometimes you get 15, uh, whatever the other numbers were. But with this being different every year, that's probably one of the keys to go back to Fred's earlier comments. It's It's got to be limited. It's got to be different. It's got to have that pretty bottle in that box. And then you, then you roll. And I, I will just kind of throw this out as a concern. I hope this doesn't I hope this doesn't dilute what is a, a perennial excitement whiskey for me. And that is Parker's heritage because I was so close to Parker and 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 Linda Beam, his his wife passed away recently, so hopefully they're together uh, right now. But I, I, you know, with Heaven Hill, they have won every imaginable award with their whiskey. I mean, they have won everything. They were the only bourbon to win best whiskey at San Francisco. You know, so you have to realize that they have the whiskey to play and dominate what, however they want to. And so I I think they have the potential to be like whiskey of the year on any given list or any given competition and whiskey runner up in any given list and any given competition. Their whiskey is always fantastic, but I will throw that out. You know, that after 15 years old, Kenny likes the uh, sweet oak note. I don't. Uh, but after 15 years old, a lot of their products get over oak. So those people who are a little more sensitive to oak, like myself, you know, maybe kicking the 17 year old to the curb. It's just, know. You, you don't have as refined palate as me, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet oak note. I always said that. Always said that about Kenny's palate. The most refined out of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh hints of ecto cooler and yeah yeah no uh so there's there's two other things that i come to bring up only because as we start talking about like what really makes a a limited release and what really starts driving value these are two most very recent ones so people were also lined up outside of castle and key for their very very first bourbon release even though it technically isn't their first bourbon release because there's been other bourbons that have been released from Castle and Key Distillate. However, this was their first bourbon release in their first bottle. So not to take anything away from them, but this was a $50 bottle, going to be kind of widely distributed. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it's getting flipped. It goes really, really quick. Now, is this just a kind of a side effect of the public being the public and that's just what you do with the new bourbon release and you just quickly do it? Or is this something that could potentially retain value over the years can i just say i won't comment on the whiskey even though the three of us had it recently we all commented in private and you know we'll all have our thing about it but i have to say this is the best package of any new product i have ever seen this is the best bottle of any bourbon new bourbon to hit the shelves it's a gorgeous bottle it's an amazing bottle and that's my only comment yeah Yeah, it is I, i think probably a lot of the hype's around probably the castle, you know, E.H. Taylor, this and that, 
unfortunately I know Sazerac doesn't want that correlation, but like this is the first <laughs> like brand coming out of that. And I'm probably getting Brian in trouble, but uh, this is just coming from me, Ryan Cecil. But it's just an opinion that uh, it has more to do with the first release out of the new edition of the old Taylor Distillery. And I think people think that potentially that will have value in the future, regardless of the whiskey as it is. I think it's just a more of a historical piece of uh, piece of history. Yeah, historical piece of history. That's a terrible thing to comment on but yeah that's what they're looking for <laughs> ryan you're getting too careful man just let it go <laughs> yeah go. i don't know i didn't i didn't know what i could get cover there brian so <laughs> i started treading water i'm gonna <laughs> mute you get nervous real quick and <laughs> start saying historical histories and uh no i mean i think i think that is true though like you're kind of buying into it package is beautiful i haven't tasted this exact bottle but i've tasted quite a bit of their stuff in that age range and it's it's really good I was talking with Brett over there and they had something like 2000 people come through and Saturday alone or something, some crazy amount. So people are obviously embracing it. And I think that just kind of shows where the market is of wanting something cool, unique and special that doesn't have to be like dipped in a thousand different types of wax and have a crazy tater sticker. So it's like, it's cool to see that get embraced. You know, I think green river kind of did that same thing a few months ago. It's really good packaging products. Good and came out to a really good release. So, you know, I'm excited for them. I, I think there's a lot more to come from them. So, yeah, should be good. Yeah, and I totally agree. I, I think the package is amazing. They have a lot of stuff going on. And as Ryan said, there is that historical connection that people are probably trying to get out of it. I'm just always concerned when I see this sort of buy and flip mentality or buy and hold or whatever it's going to be. And it's like, well, it's not really a limited release. Yeah, it was like their first batch and it was a couple thousand bottles, but they're going to keep doing this. Like if, if you didn't get your hands on it the first time, don't worry. Just wait a few weeks. You, you can go Has back. Has anybody see them, seen them posted on the secondary yet? I, I didn't even think to check, but yes. Yeah. But, but I mean, the thing is if you're going to buy and flip, right, that's your mentality going into it. And, and you're not just doing it with this one bourbon. Like that is your lifestyle probably. Right. So the, the whole goal of that game is you have to do it real, real quick, like really quick when, when hours and days count in order for you to make your money off that, not condoning it, but but that's literally the the game that you play, right? So Why, that, Jordan? The they're just providing a service to those just putting them near on the table, right? Yeah, they just trying to help folks who can't get the bottle. <laughs> What's well, like the guys who used to just sit in the parking lot of Willet before they started? Well, not selling anything, but taking driver's licenses and all that. Like, I wouldn't call them whiskey or bourbon enthusiasts. I call them opportunists, and um, Absolutely. and you, you know, I think you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just a different. It's a different category. Very true. Uh, and then also want to give a shout out to Eric Carico that just said right here that the wedding venue space at Castle and Key is now booked out for over one and a half years and has a asking price of $80,000. So uh, if you plan on getting married there, I guess save up a little bit more. Maybe maybe buy some bottles and sell them later because that's what this is all about so far. What do you do if like you call the wedding off? Do they still have to pay that? There is a deposit. Yeah, it's, the contract's pretty tight. I mean, that's the, the word deposit. It's like, hmm. you know, reservations for Seinfeld. Like, you gotta be able to take the reservation. Good thing I sold those uh, Red Hooks last week at uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. You're already getting married again. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, Brian's wife isn't watching this. <laughs> but I do have another one I want to bring up, only because this one just at the TTB, and because our our buddy JD from Rare Birds on here as well, and so they have hit out with a new special release that they're calling Single Rick House on the label now. Going back into yet another way, is this driving more demand, but or is it just like how many line extensions can we make of new things to kind of keep people excited? Okay, hear me out on this. This is the best, absolute best way to market a distillery because it's not small batch, was just nothing. Rick House is defined, we know what that is, and that is an opportunity for us to actually. You know, compare Rick houses. I love this. I, I think this is far better than the um, any of the new barrel finishes, uh, any of the like the the sherry techniques that they're trying to bring over here. I I, th I just love this so much because Wild Turkey is listening to their whiskey people and going with where their 
their whiskey power is, which is their Rick houses and they're promoting those. Now, granted, Wild Turkey will probably change their packaging 72 times and, you know, someone will, uh, you know, they'll probably discontinue it a time or two, but this is awesome. I hope others uh, pick up on like single Rick house releases. Well, this comes from the brand that originally told had on its label "small batch single barrel" for the Russells. But uh, <laughs> I, I thought we I thought we debunked the whole Rickhouse thing when Warehouse M, the East Side of Warehouse M for Four Roses, uh, everybody wanted that for like a year, and then Jim Rutledge said, "Yeah, guys, it's no, no, it's it's fine." Um, but I, I, Fred, I agree with you. This is a good way to distinguish things, but I think it's going to prove to be a marketing thing, um, to back, get back to heaven Hill, everything from Dietzville I've had on the Elijah Craig picks has, has just been fantastic. So there's something to Dietzville, but, uh, this is going to encourage collectors. So you, you want to get a warehouse ME, you want to get a warehouse, whatever it is for Turkey, just drink them. I look at it as like, I'm not looking at this like from a single barrel perspective, like with Bl the Blanton's does and other, other brands do. I think that this can be genuine batching, uh, genuine blending within the Rick house. You know, look, I've, I've been a proponent of transparency and you know, this is that next layer of transparency, whether or not they actually have a brand by this. I mean, I would like to know, uh, what's the composite of barrels made up and where do those come from? You know, they do this in wine. I don't understand why we can't do it in whiskey, why we can't have more information. And that's all this is. It's just, it's wanting to get people to where they can train their palates and discover whiskey by where it is made and the location of where it was stored. That's it. And, you know, every other genre of alcohol has it. I just want to see that in in bourbon as well, and the Rick House is is a part of that puzzle. So again, I applaud I applaud this whole thing, and I and I you know eventually marketers get a control control of it and screw everything up. But I hope I hope that this one stays true. A quick shout out to Chris Cox over here. It says Blanton's has been doing this from the beginning, so they're the OGs of figuring out the single warehouse sort of mentality there. Just real quickly, I I, I do love this idea. I mean. Every time we do, we've done a pick with Russell's, we're always like Tyrone or Nelson. You know, you really want those two warehouses. So I really love this concept and idea. What I don't like is when people get so like laser focused on that, that they kind of like discount anything else. Like, you know, with Four Roses, it's always like tier six, whatever OESVs or OESKs or that. And you kind of get laser focused on that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a brilliant move and I, I, I like more information. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thanks. Go Blake. And that's your no, talk. Well, Thank you. Now I, uh, I feel like I don't have any, anything good to add, but I saw it this morning and almost sent it to Brian and was like, all right, when's the heaven Hills Dietzville coming out? Because it, it is, I, I feel like this was straight out of the, you know, bourbon enthusiast playbook where on every pick you see these days, it's, it's talking about camp Nelson or whatever it is. And so they saw that and said, Hey, if, if people care about it this much, let's, let's go for it. Let's. And, um, I mean, shoot, I'll, I'll be buying on the shelves. Cause I think it, it does make it a little more fun to see how they, there is tasting differences. Um, now I'm sure the ninth floor at camp Nelson versus the first floor at Tyrone are going to play, taste so much different but first and ninth floor barrels are going to taste different no matter what so you know whether there's a ton of actual uh, uh differences on the flavor profiles just based on warehouse or is it just you know blend specific i don't know but i think from you know just a, a whiskey nerd perspective I, I loved it and it was cool to see something that the community was already doing for them and they were like oh yeah that that does make sense let's let's make it more transparent so I'm I'm always for that. That was a nice tip of the hat to the whiskey community, for sure. Yeah, and I feel that this is probably going to be extended even more, only because if you're going to do a single warehouse, you can say, okay, this one's from these tiers, these ricks, whatever it is, and this is get this profile. The next release, it's going to be from this one, from here, and then you just kind of start that cycle all over again. So there's really no end into what this could be. So if you're going to talk about, I don't know if that's going to be limited release, but maybe just more regular releases or special releases or what are you going to call them like that? I think you could probably see that a bit more. And once again, as you all said, just kind of paying homage to the whiskey geek right there.
And this is why bourbon is the perfect product because you have a thousand variables and you can market every single one of them. And people this is will the buy barrel them. that Pom laid down versus this is the barrel that Danny laid down. <laughs> this was on the north. This was on the south. I mean, you this think about it like Smooth Ambler, people chase all after certain people who bottled and signed their label. So it's like, you know, there's there's all kinds of fun different ways to to cut it. All right, so let's get a let's put a wrap on that topic only because I want to get to our second topic. We only have a little bit of time for, and this is coming from our friends over Breaking Bourbon. They had sent out an email last week in their newsletter. If you're not subscribed to them, make sure you go to their website and go and subscribe for it. But they had talked about how last Thursday, St. Patrick's Day, was marked, and you normally have Guinness and Irish whiskey, but now they had Kentucky Owl St. Patrick's Day edition. But there's also other companies that are doing this. You have Barrel Bourbon that does the New Year Bourbon. You've got Woodford that does Derby. Maker's Mark pretty much does everything. Uh, you know, and he kind of, or should I say Jordan or Nick, whoever was writing the, this. Uh, I do the wagon. newsletters, but you know, we'll say it's all of us. Okay. So he kind of ventured to say, Nick Jordan ventured to say here, basically said, are we going to see a Valentine's Day, a Thanksgiving Bourbon, Flag Day, President's Day, you name it. Let's let's kind of bring it out. And is it is it really a gimmick or is it something that is just yet another marketing tool? Jordan, since this is your article, I'll let you kind of go first. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So that, that was a fun one to think of and, and write about. Right. And and instantly when we saw the Kentucky Owl and instantly thought of gimmicks, gimmicks come to mind. Right. And then we had him. We're like, well, geez, this isn't this isn't a gimmick. This is pretty good. And well, why are they just releasing this for St. Patrick's Day? This should be a year round thing. And similar to Barrel New Year, right? It's it's a good good whiskey. But then, the like you said, Kenny, the possibilities are endless. So what do we see next, right? What special limited releases do we start seeing that are just for different holidays? And some may be gimmicks, some may be home runs. And then actually, you know, I'll tie this back into our first segment, those limited edition ones, those Valentine's Day 2023 that are super limited, maybe those are the ones that go to auction later on, right? Because they're really good and it was one day and, and that was it. But But it was interesting to think about. I don't know. I'm a fan of this. I like seeing different things out there, right? Until it until they start tanking and everything sucks. I think I'd like to see more brands get out there and, and try stuff like this. It gets people trying new things for that one holiday. Brands they may never try before, which is good from a consumer standpoint. Go expand your palate. Go try something new and uh, give it a shot. I'll also say from an operations perspective, this is incredibly hard to do, by the way, unless you're planning uh, a year and a half in advance, only because of labels, bottles, glass, everything else like that. So uh, kudos to anybody who's actually able to pull this off. I think a more important question is what holiday would you pick as a BCR member for your bottle? I think we already have it. I think, I I think we already have it and and it's part of like, we all talk about it being gimmick and it's part of the original gimmick of bourbon. And that is when Elijah Craig supposedly invented bourbon, which was on April 30th, uh, 1789. And Congress was uh, trying to pass Uh, a resolution on that very day in 1964, but Congressman James Lindsay blocked it, ended up getting passed on May 4th. May 4th often is the Kentucky Derby. So I think that we bourbon already has its holiday. Woodford Reserve just pays so much money to block everybody else from being connected to the Kentucky Derby. But if we as like a, a community, like really make Kentucky Derby as the focus that week and maybe even say it's April 30th or May 4th as the bourbon holiday. I think, I think that's got some legitimacy to it. And I think the Kentucky Derby is well enough respected that it's a national holiday. So back to what Ryan said, who thinks that you should have their their favorite holiday? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, almost goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about with with the different warehouses yeah that's that's a way to market it new and different we just feel like this is a more gimmicky way to market it new and different but you know it and, and then you know you you look at like in the old days when they were they were putting stuff in different decanters because it's like okay if i put it in a kentucky can decanter people will buy it if i put it in a fireman decanter people will buy it so it, it just kind of plays off of that i don't have a problem with it, it especially if the stuff is good it gives people another reason just to go and buy a bottle. So I, I don't think of it as offensive, but I don't need every holiday covered with a bottle limited edition either. So, well, it, it must be because Blake, we just saw each other that we're 
thinking the same, but I grabbed my Michigan decanter because I'm thinking the same thing. We have cycled through so many gimmicks in this since the bourbon boom really sort of started. You know, we all did the we went through horse toppers. We went through everybody had grandpa's recipe. We went through everybody had a prohibition recipe and then, you know, clever names and pretty bottles and boxes and tubes. And are we to, to decanters next? I mean, that's, I think the only next step that's left. If we take all of these holidays, <laughs> we're going to be in decanters and, and I don't know, one for every state, one for every holiday, one for every kind of car. And uh, that's, I guess that's the way you're going to have to sell bourbon when you run everything out. Everything's cyclical. Will there be lead in those decanters, Brian? <laughs> I think this time around they're going to try to avoid the lead. I think in, uh, in the, the Michigan like bottles will still have lead, but everybody else, <laughs> no lead. I think I want to do Ash Wednesday bottle. I think that'd be good. That'd be Is a good that one. Just leaving a little more char in the bottle. That's right. You put the char on top. It opens up. You know. No, it's, yeah. that's terrible. I'm I'm, I'm really <laughs> wanting see, tonight. I'm going back it. on mute. <laughs> Easter bottle, just so parents have an excuse to go hide full size bourbon bottles while the kids run around and look for their Easter baskets. Oh, I like it. Very very good. Or maybe Easter bottle minis. Yeah, right? minis that come ooh, in. They come in yeah. those little eggs already. Ooh, so you, even oh, better. Make what it if you just drink people. it up straight out of the egg? What if we just like cracked it up? It's just all liquid in there, right? See? It's like it's a decanter egg. Yeah. yeah. It's just, let's, uh, let's let's skip a few steps here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that you know, shout out to everybody in the chat. They were saying uh I heard I saw Veterans Day, Repealed Day, my birthday. But I also wanted to just bring up some most ridiculous national holidays that you're probably not celebrating. Uh, April 20th is National Lima Bean Respect Day. Uh, May 9th is National Lost Sock Memorial Day. June 8th is National Upsy Daisy Day. May 13th is National Crouton Day. June 10th is National Ballpoint Pen Day. Right. So there's there's a lot of things that we could come out with labels for here in the next few years that it doesn't really matter. I think I, think I want to do tax day. It's like, here, drink your sorrows away on tax day <laughs> with our tax day release. Yeah, That's when you buy the eleven ninety nine <laughs> bottle. That's right. It's going to be nine ninety nine. Yeah. Smart idea. Uh, and so, I mean, I think we covered a lot there only because I think we all agree that call it a gimmick, call it if you want. I, I think it's it's here to stay. It's not, I don't think it's nor necessarily maybe a gimmick, but it is just something to create yet another limited edition offering. If you don't have something to celebrate, you just go ahead and you tie it to a holiday. And people will probably gobble it up only because that's if you're in that time of the season, whether it's Christmas or Easter or Valentine's Day or whatever, and you're looking for that special gift or something like that, heck, you'll probably reach for it. And I know we're all suckers. For sure. And Alan Polowski asked, is there a National Corn Day? I don't know, but that would probably be a good one to put on there. But let's go ahead and we'll, we'll start closing it out. But I want to say thank you, everybody that was joining us on this stream tonight to be able to talk about a lot of good things. I mean, really diving deep into limited editions. And I think that we'll be able to talk about that a lot more in the future, only because people love to have their own little take on it. And whether we get to try them or whether we never see them or whether they just go straight to auction and cost $40,000, at least we get to talk about them. But as we start signing out, I want to let everybody kind of give a chance to say where they're blogging from or where you can find them and what they're up to nowadays. And so we'll go in uh, order we just started. So Brian, you're up first. All right. Great show. Uh, thanks for having me again. Brian with Sippin' Corn, all the socials at Sippin' Corn and online at uh, bourbonjustice.com. And I, I've got to say, I've, um, I've got a lot of sorrow in my heart for March Madness now. Everybody's out. I even tried to switch to women's basketball to IU. We know someone playing there. They lost too. I'm out. So now I'm I'm all rugby now. I'm just going, no, no more basketball for me. But cheers, everybody. Love it. Rugby. Uh, and by the way, for anybody that's up there as a listener, uh, Eleanor just chimed in and said that June 11th is National Corn Day. So thank you so much for for tossing that in there. Now we learn something new. All right, Jordan, you're up next. Sure. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from BreakingBourbon.com. Uh, use us for all your review needs when you're in a pinch in a liquor store. Find us on all the socials. As always, great for having us, fellas. Great seeing the three of you from uh, Burn Pursuit and Brian and Blake. Thankfully for me, Duke's still You're in it. the three so. you and then, yeah, you too, Brian. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just grouped all of Bourbon Pursuit together. So, and uh, thankfully for me, Duke's still in, in the final four. So March Madness is going quite well for me. 
he knows I still hate Leitner, so he left me out. <laughs> Jordan, I, I did an I did an event with uh, Jay Williams the other day, and he oh, picked, nice. he picked against Duke. He really, picked, he picked against Duke. Yeah, wow, I can't believe it. That that is unbelievable. Huh. Bold strategy, Cotton. Mm. <laughs> All right, Blake. All righty. Uh, yeah. Once again, Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. Always fun to be here. I'll keep it short. So thanks for having me. Go there to get all your craft whiskey needs as well as Pursuit United. There we go. We'll throw yeah. another plug there for you. <laughs> Kenny's but, better at my pitches than I am. So uh, yeah, whatever he said. Yeah. <laughs> but guys, I want to say thank you so much for joining. Thank you everybody that was in the chat with us tonight. We had a lot of great conversations. Make sure you follow them on all the socials. Make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit on all the socials. Also follow our buddy Fred Minnick over here. He also has other, his own podcast called The Fred Minnick Show. But if you do like this show, make sure you leave a review, tell a friend about it, support us, whatever it is to make sure that we can keep this train and this puppy going. So with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week.